Hi there, I'm Adam Spencer and welcome to Telstra Behind the Mic. My guest in this episode is Vic Rhodes' Stuart Campbell. He's the head of Platforms and DevOps, which means he's a bit of an expert in how to integrate and automate processes between IT teams and software developers. I've read the brief. I think Stuart's going to blow your mind with the efficiencies that the continued partnership with Telstra Purple around AWS cloud transformation and robotic process automation have brought to his organisation. From the reduction in people hours and outage times and deploying new updates to the improved online customer user experience. So good, it's taken around a million visits a year out of the customer service network. The ability to remain agile and operational while upgrading systems is impressive, especially when as a government service there are millions of customer records to be protected with security implications that are large. Projects like this have many moving paths to consider and plan for. So to take us through the challenges and the benefits is Stuart Campbell. Stuart, welcome to Telstra Behind the Mic. Thanks for having me. Now, now for our Victorian-based listeners, Stuart, before we dive in, Vic Rhodes is a well-known institution, but for the rest of our listeners around Australia, in fact, around the world, tell, tell us briefly, what, what does Vic Rhodes do? So VicRoads is basically our equivalent of the driver's license authority um, in Victoria. So for those in New South Wales, think RMS or TMR if you're in Queensland or if you're an American, DMV. But we like to think we're a lot better than the DMV. So, (laughs) Oh, I won't get into that age-old turf war. (laughs) And you're, you're the head of platform and dev ops. Dev ops is a phrase we hear bandied around a little bit. It's not just me getting cool with the kids. It is an actual term. Can you give us a bit of an explanation? What, what is DevOps as a as a practice or as a philosophy? Yeah, I think it's an in- interesting sort of point that yeah, that different. it means different things to different people. So, I mean, like you've got the, I'll say, academic type thing where it's, you know, people got together and said, okay, well, this is what DevOps is and, you know, what it means. But in the context of an organization like VicRoads, it, it really is about bringing together a lot of our development side of things and our operational side of things as well and sort of seeing what we can do to bring it together. And it, it's not like we will go down the philosophical or academic approach with these sorts of things. It'll be a case of, well, what makes sense for the organisation? So certainly not DevOps in the traditional sense of, you know, what you know a Netflix or a Google or whoever would be doing, but very much um, focused on what we need in the department in VicRoads as well. And it's the idea that you're sort of uniting, you know, development and and operations in a way that rather than turning the whole system off, overhauling it all, six months later it all comes back online, is it the idea of agile, constant adaptation improvement with minimal uh, disruption to the service you're providing, tweaking, tweaking, that sort of thing, as opposed to sort of more old-fashioned monolithic block movements? Is that sort of the, the philosophical concept in some ways? Yeah, I think you probably said it a lot more articulately than I was going to, but yeah, that, that, that's basically what the department and the um, organisation was looking for. It's a, I'm going to say, we had a fairly well-publicised um, project a number of years ago called the Randall Project, which was pretty much, I'll say, that old school sort of approach you described with the big monolith- monolithic application where it's like, okay, well, we need to replace these core systems, like some old mainframes and things like that we need to go buy product X to go and replace it. And that's like, I think the organisation got up to about $110 million before it realised that it didn't have the resourcing to actually finish it. And so since then, it's been about 10 years or so, and it's like, okay, well, we still got these legacy challenges and things like that. And it's like, 
what are these modern engineering concepts that we need to apply to actually be able to move the organization forward? So as you sort of said, it's yeah, how do you release more often, do smaller releases, less risky releases? Because, um, I mean, I've also been involved in a number of large IT projects now at this point, and every time it gets over a certain size, the inevitably stuff will go wrong. So, I mean... When you're doing stuff and releasing, you know, every two weeks, if something goes wrong, it's small, it's easily correctable, and then you get you dust yourself off, get back up, and keep releasing. Um, and that that's quite a um, powerful thing within the government space as well, because I mean, one of the big things you always want to avoid is ending up, you know, on the front of the Herald Sun or the Age or mm-hmm. the Sydney Herald or your, your local equivalent newspaper. Um, so, I mean, you know, making things bite-sized makes a lot of sense for us. But the other thing with, with government and government services and, and, and what customers or the public expected of them, it was the way that if you had to go and do something in a government office, you were going to queue up forever, you were going to go to 16 different windows, it was just going to take the best part of a day. But whether it's banking or shopping or video conferencing or getting your licence or whatever, we're all working and accessing essential services more remotely and online than ever. How, how's your relationship with the customer changed? What, what, what are customers expecting from VicRoads now in this time of accelerated digitisation that they might not have assumed five, ten years ago? Well, and that, that's really a big point. Um, like people sort of think, oh, government's going to be a certain experience and things like that. But increasingly people are saying, well, you know, my bank does this or my, you know, supermarket does that or, you know, and people are actually expecting a lot more of that, I'll say, private sector experience in government. So, you know, we can't just say to people, oh, you know, come to our office and you'll spend 60 minutes, you know, in a queue and all that. So it's like people actually expect to be able to go online and do services and things like that. And a lot of the work that we do in my team is about, well, how do we work within the constraints of government with some of these core, I'll say, core systems that are ageing? but hide that from the customer. So the customer is getting that modern experience, but we're not sort of, um, you know, tied into some of the legacies of of the past. And, you know, it presents some unique challenges to us. But, um, you know, I think think there was a figure quoted a couple of weeks ago where it's, I think, Vic Roads is responsible for something like 70% of government transactions in Victoria. So, you know, it's a fairly sizable operation. 70%. Well, okay. Well, before we get our hands dirty and dive into the individual milestone projects within this. I mean, Vic, Vic Rhodes had worked with Telstra Purple for a while before this on, on, on different sort of, you know, high-level projects. What What's new about this that we're about to hear about? Yeah, so probably one of the things that's worth sort of talking about with Telstra in particular is we've been a partner with Telstra for basically as long as I can remember, starting off before it was even Telstra Purple. So um, VicRoads had a relationship with the predecessor cloud um, and then that was a fairly traditional sort of a managed service type arrangement. And then as Telstra has, um, I'll say, purchased the cloud cloud organisation and sort of integrated them into the business, that's really when that um, relationship sort of took off in terms of partnership rather than sort of managed services. Okay, so let, let, let's get our hands Dirty. You've recently completed an RPA, which you don't need me to tell you, but some of the listeners might need to know, is a robotic process automation project in partnership with Telstra Purple. T- take us back to when you first started that project. What is an RPA? What did you want from it? What were the key drivers of automating your cloud environment? Yeah, so I mean, RPA, for those that aren't familiar with the concept, it's, I'll say, People that make RPA software probably aren't going to like me saying this, but it's basically macros on steroids. So, you know, it's automating basic tasks that a human could be doing. Um, And 
in in an organization like VicRoads, we have a lot of processes that are someone doing the same thing day in, day out. So lots of rich candidates for that sort of functionality and technology. Um, but where we sort of leaned on Telstra Purple in particular was getting it um, set up in a way that the environment was easy to manage, that we didn't have to sort of keep keep one eye open looking at it. Because um, things like RPA and, you know, the, they integrate with legacy systems and there is a natural element of distrust, um, particularly from people that aren't familiar with the technology. Um, so, I mean, having the sort of I'll say bones correct and, you know, people having confidence that it's, you know, fast, secure and stable and things like that has gone a long way to sort of getting a lot of uplift in it because the the amount of cost savings alone for some of these transactions is significant. Um, some of these uh, transactions that we've put into RPA in the last six months were things that we previously outsourced at something like 6 or $7 per transaction and that's dropped down to I think the equivalent of about 5 or $0.06 cents a transaction. So... There's a lot of opportunity for us with this, and we can only get that buy-in at a business level by having the right underpinnings on the technology as well. Okay, so in terms of the technology, and and, and keep this fairly simple, if that's all right. When, what did you actually do? You would have had you would it wasn't like Vic Roads got into computers for the first time ever with this project. You would have already had a quite substantial legacy system, I presume. What's the basic technological? bits of the jigsaw puzzle you've put together to get you to this new place that you are now? Yeah, so I'll just provide a little bit of context for the VicRoads yeah. story. Um, so VicRoads, I'll say like most large government departments, has a mainframe, some ageing applications and things like that. And there's a number of sort of integrations that have been created over the years for what would be a sort of high value or high volume transaction. So things like in the VicRoads context, registration renewal, for instance, has a direct integration with our mainframe. Where technologies like RPA have really come into the fold and helped an organisation like us is things that never made sense to build that integration. Like, So an integration into a mainframe, it might be between, you know, 100000 to a $1 million, for instance. And there's certain processes that you're never going to get that level of investment to actually do. And that's where something like RPA has really come in into its own in our organisation. It's like, okay, well... You know, maybe we spend $20,000, you know, just automating something a human would have previously done. And then by doing that, we can then start exposing it in different ways than we would have in the past. So it's not a case of someone calling up the call centre and then performing the transaction in front of them. It's a, we can build a front end on the website, combine it with this RPA technology. And then as far as the customer is concerned, they've got this whiz-bang online service even though behind the scenes it's essentially a glorified macro doing the work. A part of this is also CICD, continuous integration, continuous delivery. What, what does that mean and how, how does that effectively layer itself over a system like this? Yeah, so CICD is something that's been critical to VicRoads in the last really probably two years and it's something that's not just um, limited to what we're doing in the RPA space. And Without that investment in that sort of automation for our um, development and build and deployment processes, we wouldn't have actually been able to achieve things like dropping releases in, um, you know, sometimes multiple times a week, some will say sometimes multiple times a day. Um, it, it's really one of those things that's been challenging from our, for our, us to get that in, initial investment in there. But then once we've sort of got it, it's just an expectation, um, you know, that we can just recreate infrastructure. We can just deploy something. You know, it's it's an hour to put a new server up, or it's an hour to you know get some jobs deployed, or something like that. It's not 
oh, let me schedule it in next, you know, Monday and, you know, if Bob's around, he'll click on some stuff and some things will happen. It's very much a, you know, it's it's one of those things. And, again, it sort of goes to the point of um, trust within government as well. It's like when things go wrong, we can pinpoint how, how things have happened, why they've happened, um, and, you know, it makes, I'll say, things do occasionally go wrong. Um, it makes things defensible as well if we can say, well, you know, this piece of infrastructure, there's no way a human can actually get onto it to manipulate it. So it's like, you know, the problems occurred elsewhere. So it it does help us a lot in sort of building trust with these systems as well. And that, that's something people don't really necessarily think about with something like CICD. And we should make very clear that, that what you're saying there is not, you're not taking a pot shot at Bob. It's not Bob's fault. You're saying any system that relies on an individual human at a particular moment in time doing something is inherently open to just becoming clunky and taking time compared to CICD, RPA sort of systems, yeah? Yeah, absolutely. Like, I mean, everyone has the best intention with this. Like, I like to think that our people don't willingly do the wrong thing, but, you know, it could be he's in the middle of updating three three servers that are supposed to be identical and someone walks up to his desk and, you know, has a chat with him and he forgets to, you know, copy a file or something like mm. that. Like those those sorts of issues did happen before we actually invested in CICD, and it, you know it wasn't wasn't necessarily anyone's fault or anything like that. It just it's the reality of people doing manually, and you know with CICD, it's like you know you can guarantee well your test environment's the same as your production environment, it's the same as your staging environment. So it it makes those conversations when when something goes wrong a lot easier because it's like well you know, they are the same and here's here's my proof of it. Or, you know, if a customer has something happen, you can say, well, you know, that physically can't happen or that can't didn't happen for X, Y, Z. So, I mean, it it does help us a lot in building that trust. You, you've, you've given me some impressive stats already. I've read that you've, you've automated about 12 processes in just the last five months, removed 1 million visits a year out of the customer service network. It always you've also always had that thing, don't you, that every time a person is not doing something really mundane, it means that person's got more time to allocate to the problems that the that the the, the, the macro can't easily solve. So they're using their own creativity, problem solving, probably makes their work more enjoyable. Give me some other sort of coffee table or um, you know, uh, lift pitch stats you've got for me about how far you've come in this short period of time, Stuart. Yeah, so that one that you sort of referenced there is what we call our return to service program, which was basically um, VicRoad's response to COVID. And like most organisations, we were dealing with the reality of, you know, open shut offices or reduced service or capacity constraints. So, I mean, that digitisation, as you sort of said, was critical for us to even be able to maintain service at a manageable level um, and stop our network from being overwhelmed. But the, there's other sort of things behind the scenes that people don't sort of think about with VicRoads. Like you, you have fairly mundane things like the um, registration renewal, for instance, that you get in the mail. Mm-hmm. And people don't sort of think, well, what actually goes into something like that? And up until recently, that was a fairly bespoke, I'll say, desktop publishing software, hundreds of undocumented business rules that went into that. And it was it was basically, well, you know, don't touch that, something might break, there be dragons kind of thing. <laughs> and working with Telstra, um, they helped us realise our vision to actually bring that across to AWS and make it basically use all of the native services and commodity products off the shelf so that we didn't find ourselves in 10 years' time like, oh, you know, where's Bob with his copy of his software on his desktop that he may or may not have the original files for? It's like, well, now we're looking at something that's in 
essentially a Google Chrome browser generating your registration renewals. Um, you know, so we can quickly adapt and make changes like we would any other sort of digital product for something that's really quite a specific thing to the organization, um, yet using commodity tools to sort of build it. And working with, again, companies like Telstra Purple, uh, we sort of sit down with them and say, hey, this is what we're thinking or we want to do. Can the technology do that? Because, I mean, we, we found we were getting to the point with a lot of this stuff where it's like, um, you know, you read the literature on AWS's website or you read, you know, a couple of different articles on the internet and it's like, yeah, that's nice, but who's actually done that with it or how does it actually work in reality? Mm. And that and that's really where the strength and partnership with companies like Telstra and AWS come in where it's like, well, does it actually do this or, you know, does this use case make sense or is there a better way of doing that? So we involve Telstra and um, AWS really early on in our conversations when it, when our ideas are a little, little more than really, as you sort of say, an elevator pitch where we're thinking we want to do this or build it in this way. What do you guys reckon? And it's a really sort of collaborative design process um, where both where all sort of parties come together and say, well, have you thought about this or, you know, do you understand that? And because Telstra has been with us for quite some time now, it's like they actually understand the business domain really well as well. So it's like, and they understand all the different components that sort of go into things and can say, hey, you know, be careful if you do that, it might impact this. And and it's it's a level of partnership that you just don't get from every every vendor that we deal with. Yeah, I know Telstra Purple brings that sort of that sort of consultancy experience, that in the field problem solving. One thing I know AWS prides itself on bringing is security, because when you're holding licenses, car registration, customer addresses, all that sort of data on millions of people, security must also be a big part of this, Stuart. Yeah, absolutely. I mean the. I would say I'd probably be looking for a new job, I suspect, if there was a breach on any of our AWS infrastructure. But it, it is something that Telstra Purple is actually critical to the security of our services. Um, so, I mean, an organization like VicRoads, like if you think about a registration payment, for instance, like that's $800, $900 um, in its own right. And you times that across, you know, millions of people. Like you've got an online platform that's literally collecting billions of dollars every year. So, Having to work with organizations like Telstra Purple to actually secure that and, you know, I'll say, my, hopefully my security people don't shoot me for this one, but it's like, you know, during school holidays, you see increased levels of attack and things like that. Hmm. And the Telstra guys really do keep on top of things and say, you know, have you thought about this or, you know, we've observed this um, emerging threat in the market, you know, make sure you're protected for it. And, you know, they're, they're constantly adjusting, tweaking, um, modifying things to adapt our environment rather than sort of just staying still and, you know, waiting for VicRoads to say, hey, do X, Y, Z for us. So, again, like, it, it's a, it is really a partnership in the deepest possible sense that, you know, they, they care about the security of our data as well. Yeah, I've been doing some work with some people in this space and they've said that bring, when you bring together that sort of consultancy expertise of Telstra Purple with the, the suite of products that AWS bring... And it's all being run over your Telstra 5G network. People are talking about that as a very sort of powerful alliance in this space of 5G, edge, cloud in 2021 and beyond. Is it? it I get the impression it's a pretty exciting time, Stuart. Yeah, the, certainly um, AWS and Telstra Purple both got a number of sort of exciting products that are coming out really, you know, some of them are already out and there's some upcoming stuff that's also looking pretty exciting on the horizon. Um, we're the real sort of benefit with dealing with, you know, partners again like Telstra is understanding which technologies actually make sense for you as a business. Um, 
the, there is a temptation of being a kid in a candy store with some of this stuff where it's like, oh, I'll have a bit of 5G, I'll have a bit of this technology, I'll have a bit of that technology. Um, <laughs> Give me some 5G. Yeah, and, and at the end of the day, like, we're an organisation and, you know, we have a responsibility to the taxpayer that, you know, that I'm going to say I, I don't think the average Melbourne punter would be particularly happy if I was just out there playing with a new phone every day. Hmm. Um, but it, it's a case of, well, what, what do these technologies actually represent for the business and what are the opportunities that they actually provide? So it might be a case of, you know, AWS has launched this new audit tool or something like that. And it's, sure, it's not the most sexy of things, but Telstra is sort of recognising, well, it might actually be something of value to our organisation and sort of brings it to the table and say, hey, have you considered using it like this? Um, and, and vice versa, we might come to them and say, hey, we've been talking to AWS, there's this new service, do you think it's relevant for us? Um, so that that's where the real value comes in, in from it like, and where that trust comes from. It's You don't get the um, sense that people are just selling you something for the sake of selling it to you. It's actually understanding what you're trying to do with it and then you know how, how can we best use them rather than, hey, look, cool new toy, do you want one? Okay, so where to from here? Because you're clearly on a bit of a roll at the moment, but as head of platforms and DevOps, the organisation looks to you to lead data and digital capabilities. What's what's next for Vic Roads in 2021 and beyond? Uh, so, it's in, interesting question in that um, I don't know how many people will be familiar with um, a recent government announcement looking at what a joint venture um, partnership might look like for the Vic Roads, which is um, similar to what we sort of do with the public transport network here in Victoria. So there's a few things that are sort of being worked through what a future transformation off some of those legacy systems looks like, whether it's a um, big sort of project, where it's a continuation on of um, some of the transformation type stuff that we've been doing. Um, the big thing for my team in the, in the next couple of months is actually getting more into the PTV space as well and seeing if we can apply some of those lessons that we've learned um, from the Vic Roads and the registration licensing experience and seeing how they translate into the public transport domain as well, because um, it, we've sort of come together as an organisation about two years, two, two or so years ago now, and there's a lot of lessons learned from both sides where it's like, well, what can we do to build, you know, I'll say build cool things, even though I said before that, you know, that, that's not what I'm paid for as a taxpayer, but um, mm. it, there's, there's a lot of opportunities to learn from both sort of previous organisations and particularly um, taking some of those things that we've done with Tulsa Purple and applying them in a public transport context um, is probably where we see some of the more exciting growth. Even fairly um, mundane things like, well, what what's the punctuality on the train network, for instance? Um, that's things that we're working on with Telstra Purple, like basically taking the telemetry data from the train and tram network, using all the AWS technologies to spit out a number at the end and say, okay, across the entire, you know, Victorian transport network, trains are on time 95% of the time. We should pay company XYZ this amount. So like they're the sort of things that we're building with Telstra Purple, applying a lot of the lessons that we learned in the registration and licensing space across the broader transport department. You, you, you talked about lessons learned, Stuart. What, what, have you, what have been some of the challenges in taking an organisation like Vic Roads and really modernising and, and automating the cloud infrastructure? So probably one of the biggest things we've learned along the way is that there's no one size fits all. Um, and that that's across the board. It's like, what well, we need to adapt our approach depending on the situation. And it, it sounds really simple when you think, when you sort of talk about it like that, but it's a case of, well, how does your stakeholder operate? You know, are they 
I'll say old school, they want to do full waterfall or, you know, are they cutting edge, they want everything agile? And then what fits in with the rest of the sort of broader organization? And so one of the probably big lessons learned for us is not being too precious about things. It's like, you know, sure, the best technology might be this approach, but, you know, it's the case of not being, not letting the enemy of good kind of thing. So mm-hmm. it, it it's one of these things where adaptability is sort of key. Um, and, you know, we... We did sort of struggle, I'll say, quite a bit with that in the past where it's like, oh, you know, we haven't replaced, you know, system X, Y, Z, therefore we'll do nothing. And it's like that that's really not leading to the best outcomes either. So it's a case of, well, what what can we do with what we've got kind of thing? So, Well, it's been an incredible journey. For anyone listening to this who's working in an organisation and they're reflecting on now how they apply for a licence and things like that compared to just a few years ago and they think, I, I want my organisation to go on that sort of journey. What sort of advice would you give to other digital and IT leaders who want to optimize this the the potential of cloud for their organization? Yeah, I think the the biggest part, thing for us and again it comes back to what we sort of learned working with companies like Telstra Purple is not letting um things stop things because they're not perfect. It, mm-hmm. it, it's too easy in an IT context to be like, oh, I want to upgrade to the latest version or I want to do this. And, you know, if that doesn't happen for whatever reason, just standing still. And it, it again, so it sounds really simple, but it's like, give it a go, like, you know, and talk to your peers and see what else people have done. Because, I mean, quite often you'll find someone else has something that's may not be exactly the same, but it's transferable. So it might be, you know, getting out there and say, and getting some use cases going so you can start building that momentum. Um, I, I personally would think in a fairly conservative organisation or government department, getting someone to invest heavily in CICD by just going up to them and saying, hey, give me $10 million, I want to build some automation, is going to be a pretty hard sell. <laughs> Whereas if you actually say, hey, I need some seed money, you know, I can do some really cool stuff, you know, these are, this is the benefit you'll get. And actually starting on something small that has a high chance of success, like, you know, don't, don't pick your hardest thing first. And again, sounds obvious, but, you know... Sure, your hardest thing might give you the biggest benefits, but it's also your highest risk and you're, you're more likely to fall on your face. So it's, you know, pick something to start demonstrating that value and why it's important. And, you know, I, I will say having done a number of these sort of discussions and um, events over the years, it's like, you know, don't be dissuaded by the fact you'll go to these things and to events and you'll hear someone talking about how perfect it is in, the, in this organisation or mm-hmm. they do this, they do that, you know. The reality is every organization has barnacles on it and it's like, you know, everyone's in a fairly similar position where it's like some systems will be better, some systems will be worse. And it's like what what makes the most sense and where is the best investment sort of directed and start to actually build that value and demonstrating it to people about why it's important to invest in these things. Well, look, there might still be a couple of barnacles hanging on the, uh, the chassis of Vic Roads, but I think most people who interact with the site and with the organization would admit that you... you you can barely recognise it compared with just a handful of years ago. You're one of the big reasons behind that. It's been fascinating to share your observations in this space. Thank you so much for your time today from Vic Roads, Stuart Campbell. Thank you very much for having me.